From the heart of Austin, Texas, hello and welcome to Time Well Spent, brought to you by the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority. I'm Neil Spells. Throughout the course of these podcasts, we dissect how area residents define quality of life in Central Texas. Each episode features a dynamic conversation with subject matter experts on one quality of life factor that's important to all of us. We'll look back on where we've been, where we are today, and where we're going, and what's needed to get us to the future that we all hope for. And during this episode, we're discussing healthcare in the region with Greg Hartman and Dr. Bill Rice. And thanks to each of you for joining us for this episode of Time Well Spent. Let's start off at the beginning because each of you has a unique background to come to healthcare. It's kind of interesting in that sense. So, Greg, why don't you start off and give us a quick summary of your background and how you ended up where you are today and the title and your role today. Sure, sure, Neil. A lot of folks would wonder why, how the hell I got to where I am today. It really makes no sense. My wife says I can't keep a job, so that's that's what's kind of led to this. So I came to Austin to go to the University of Texas, like lots of folks, and started working in local politics back when I was doing that. And actually, out of college, did political consulting for several years. Um, all the way up through Ann Richards' campaigns and some other things that I did nationally and statewide as well, too. Um, during all that, I started working for John Sharp, who's now the chancellor at a and but at the time was a state senator and was a railroad commissioner, state controller. I worked with him on his politics and then also worked as his assistant at the state controller's office. Out of that, I went to management consulting with a national firm, did that work around the country for about a decade or so. Then I went to a local corporate communications firm that a lot of folks know about here in Austin called Public Strategies, which is now called Hill and Knowlton Strategies. And I was there doing work around the country and then came to Seton about 14 years ago, mainly to do marketing and communications. Over the years, though, I've done a variety of different jobs there, ran Brackenridge Hospital for a while, Seton Medical Center, Austin on 38th Street. And then with the medical school, which I was really involved in during all that and developing all of all the stuff we have today. Um, when it got created, I really began to focus over there as the president of external and academic affairs. So the academic programs report to me, as well as all these relationships that Seton has with local government and the state government, the UT system, those kind of folks. That's what I do today. Bill, what about your background? Well, um, like Greg, I've had many different jobs and titles over time. What I say to my wife is that um, I have a forced Gump career. One, one has never been able to predict what the next step would be and, and what would happen. And um, my background is emergency medicine. Um, which I did for 15 years, and we were kind of at the right place at the right time in the middle 90s to build a company and take it public. So so for a little while, I was a founder, chairman, CEO of a public company. That kind of led to um, a number of um, being interested in early-stage companies and formation of companies and startups. And so really for, for much of the ensuing time since that, um, when we did our public offering and whatnot, um, have been involved with, with um, early stage and startup companies in healthcare, health technology, and technology in general. I've had a few um, other kinds of things come up along the way. Um, I've been um, for a while chairman of um, chair of the Secret Oversight Committee, so I've been really interested in cancer for some time. Um, for a short time, I worked at the White House. Um, we've had other involvements with um, community organizations. The most recent is the. Um, Austin Healthcare Council, where we've been involved, which is a an entity that is seeking to find um, new ways to collaborate across healthcare organizations in town here. And so, in addition to all that, you're an MD, a medical right, doctor. Right, right. So yeah, I did emergency <laughs> medicine for a long time, and and my title now is senior vice president for clinical innovation at St. David's Healthcare. And in that role, I um I like to say no one knows what that means, so I do whatever I want. That's the laugh <laughs> line. But the punchline is that we're deeply interested in um, informatics and um and clinical quality, clinical variation, and, um, and 
and sort of service systems, almost what we call a service chain from, from um, it, you know, from pre-hospital to admission through hospital through post-hospital um, all the way 90 days out is kind of what we think of our, is, our, is our target range. Very good. We'll get into all that, too. Now, real quickly, again, a quick summary. Uh, go back to you, Greg. Uh, uh, describe Seton uh, and what it does in this community. So Seton's been around for well over a century. It's a, it's a part of Ascension Health, which is the largest not-for-profit healthcare system in the country. And so we've got about 15 hospitals and several joint ventures and hundreds of outpatient sites all across the community. Actually, um, And when you say community, you mean Travis and Williamson? Well, Canada's. Travis and Williamson, but actually lately we've begun to expand some. So now Providence Healthcare System in Waco is a part of our system, oh. and we go all the way down to Kyle. We have a hospital in Kyle. Gotcha. We have a hospital in Luling, hospital in Burnett. So we're, we're very regional like that. And then, of course, in Austin, the largest hospitals are the new Dell Seton at UT, which is right across from the medical school. Um, we're exclusive partner with the medical school for the residency program. So we, we built that teaching hospital right there. And then also Dell um, Children's, Seton Medical Center on 38th Street, um, Shoal Creek, Seton Northwest, Seton Southwest, and then a variety of other hospitals in the region as well, too. St. David's, doctor? Yeah, so same thing. We're a regional healthcare system, and our lineage goes only back 90 years. So, um, so we're a relatively newcomer to the to the market. <laughs> Similarly, we have a range of hospitals, um, eight hospitals here in town, about 100, and, um, and I say in the metro area in Central Texas, um, 110 access sites, full service across the myriad of, of um, clinical service lines, and very active programs. St. David's Healthcare is a is a partnership, it's a unique partnership with HCA, a for-profit company, and the nonprofits. HCA is Hospital, sorry, Hospital Corporation, Corporation of America. America. And it's a partnership with St. David's Foundation and with the Georgetown Community Foundation. So that, that makes us unique. And in our model, um, St. David's returns to the community. I guess I'll just quote, you know, 300 and some odd million dollars in the last 10 years or 15 years since it's in, in um, through his foundation, through his foundation right. 360 or so million dollars, whatnot. Okay, you uh, represent the two gorillas of healthcare <laughs> in this community. There's a lot of other aspects to healthcare in the community, which we'll get into as we discuss this. But let's go back and look at where we come from just very quickly, because people who are riding around today in Austin, Texas, uh, have a very different idea and access to health care than just 50 years ago, as an example. I mean, a very brief period of time within our lifetimes as such. Uh, Greg Breckenridge Hospital started out as a red brick building delivering babies out there next door to the University of Texas campus. That's right. And, you know, if you go to the Austin Historical Center, there's actually records there that show one of the reasons it was built there on what is now the northeast corner of downtown was the view that the prevailing winds would blow the illness away from the city, actually. So um, I guess they didn't go far enough out. So yeah, it didn't work so well. Um, but yeah, that hospital has been there for a long time. Of course, Seton got involved. It was the um, old, it still is the oldest public hospital in Texas right now. Seton got involved in 95 when the city of Austin was running it and really realized that a public entity running a hospital was really getting difficult to do, a freestanding single hospital. The competitive issues, all kinds of reasons, it just didn't work well. And so the city went and asked who wanted to do it, and, and Seton got involved, and it fit real well with our mission of caring for the poor and vulnerable as well as developing healthcare resources. So 95 entered into this really unique kind of interesting lease partnership with the city of Austin, which has evolved now into Central Health, 
which is our healthcare district that the public voted on in 2004. Um, and so it's it's grown into really part of a system. And now that little red brick hospital, like you talked about, is the level one trauma center. Um, it's about to become, it's it's moving across, obviously, into the new Dell Seton at UT, which is the new facility that was built catacorner across the street from it. It's about to get a burn center in there. I mean, it's really turning into a leading hospital in the country there. Um, and of course, connected to the Dell Medical School really helps to bring in a lot of innovation, a lot of interest and attention to that new facility there from those little that little red brick building. You, you mentioned level one trauma center. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Brackenridge Hospital had the only emergency room as such, and there were no there was no EMS. Uh, the funeral mm-hmm. homes uh, had ambulances and they chased car wrecks to get uh, get patients yeah. to. We take know them Neil. Away. There's some interesting stories when you and I know you know well the UT Tower shooting. And right. I've, I've talked to some of the physicians who were there and some of the nurses who were there that day, and it's fascinating to hear them talk about. You know, they didn't know what was happening. People were just showing up, and there was no. They didn't have TVs in all the rooms or anything. <laughs> they obviously didn't have any way of knowing what was happening. They were getting you know, comments from the hearses, the hearse drivers who were bringing people over there. And actually, there's there's actually a, a strong story. Again, the History Center has a lot of background on this, that a lot of the, and you, Bill, you're an ED doctor, emergency room doctor, you'll know this about anybody, that a lot of the original trauma concepts came from that mass casualty event at the yeah. UT Tower. That was one of the first times after it was all over with, my understanding is the medical community said, you know, we should step back and think about how to deal with a mass casualty event, which at the time was um, fortunately a lot more rare than it is today. And they really started thinking about the science of trauma and mass casualties then. Yeah. If we were to have a mass casualty, the, the, the exercise there is, is, is the community comes together. And, yeah. and so, you know, just to sort of briefly describe St. David's, again, um, 9,000 employees, third largest employer, again, 110 or so um, local access sites. You know, um, it's interesting based on Breckenridge pulling away, or rather the Children's Hospital pulling away, there's about mm-hmm. 47,000 um, patients, I think, that are seen at Breckenridge now, and and 47,000 children see it at, at Dell Pediatric Hospital. But but um, through growth and, and, um, and whatnot, the two largest ho- um, emergency departments in town are actually South Austin and North Austin, which South Austin sees about 75,000 in a year. Uh, pa- emergency department patients, and and I think it's around fifty-seven thousand that North Austin sees. So, so you know, as we talk and as we think about the ways we would need to collaborate, certainly the Dell. Uh, I mean, the um, yeah, the Dell um, uh, hospital is is lovely. The new ED system is beautiful. Um, nothing like recent construction to really mm-hmm. fully integrate mm-hmm. everything. But the but the you know the um, if we were to have a mass casualty, um, I'm just 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 sort of making the point that all the emergency rooms would be um, activated. And, and really the two largest, and I've been surprised at this because I hadn't followed that closely, but the two mm-hmm. largest are at St. David's, actually, in the, in the city, in the metropolitan area. You know. Well, you know, uh, obviously, as, as I mentioned a moment ago, you, you two represent the largest uh, health care facilities in the area. But there are others that are coming in, too. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Baylor, Scott, and White. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Well, let me just throw at you that I, I think, you know, Greg and I, would um, we want to um, talk about and, and compete vigorously on all kinds of different things on cost <laughs> and quality and efficiency and whatnot and mission. But, but we, you know, we also recognize that there are others coming to town. Baylor Scott White, you mentioned, 
has hospitals more on the periphery of town, obviously, and and um, and we're not here to speak for them. And, and Greg, you may know more about you know kind of what's going on in the strategy and whatnot. But but you know, Austin is a growing community. Um, we're a very attractive community for a million reasons, which everybody knows why um, you know that that Austin um, is interesting, well educated as a community, um, growing, and so it's not surprising that other entities would want to come here. Well, it, you know, it, we're not we're not. Uh, I mean, you know, the responsibility of a, of a full service Seton or full service St. David's to um, you know with a long lineage and a full complete you know service system is to provide for the whole community. In some ways, those that are coming in, you know, um, th- that may or may not be their full mission or that may be their vision in 50 years, but that won't be something they're really enlivened. But, but it does impress me that, uh, like Baylor, Scott & White, Scott & White has a tremendous reputation uh, as a facility in the Temple, uh, Waco area. Mm-hmm. And then Baylor a School of Medicine. I mean, we're bringing quality quality health care facilities in here to compete, maybe, That's right. maybe oh, to yeah. supplement. And, and, and uh, I actually think from a community perspective, as we grow, I mean, we're obviously growing so rapidly, not only in Austin city limits, but in the region, you know, we're going to get more competitors. And I think that's good for us. I mean, I think yeah. it keeps the big players on our toes. It keeps everybody good. And Banner Scott and White, you know, a large not-for-profit system, you know, based was, you know, Scott and White, of course, was sort of physician-based for years and years. So it has a little bit of a different approach, which has really been impressive. And they've done an incredible job. So it's a great system. And I actually think, as as we think about this, you know, there's Seton and there's St. David's, the two big players. There's Baylor, Scott, and White. But the real future that is interesting to contemplate, I think, is who are those competitors we don't even know about now, or, or that that are on the horizon, still thinking about it. the Amazons, the WalMarts, the Googles. Oh you boy! Know, frankly, HEB is doing some incredible work in healthcare okay, right now. Okay, so let's that really let's, gets let's dive into that. Mm-hmm. Now we're yeah. talking about where, where this is going. Obviously, uh, most people are aware of hospitals. Most people are aware of emergency rooms. Most people are aware of uh, EMS type facilities, maybe uh, uh, the uh, star flight, the helicopter, all those sorts of things. They see those sorts of things. But now you said Google, you said Amazon, mm-hmm, right. HEB in yeah. the healthcare business. Dive into that a little bit, Greg. Well, I think, you know, if you think about it, a lot of healthcare is, of course, trying to figure out where's the best place, the right time, the right way to take care of someone. Often is not in a hospital facility. So more and more, how do you take care of folks in their homes or in other easier access locations? Um, if you think about an Uber model or a Lyft model, you know, again, and, and they're both looking at healthcare as well, too. Could they deliver care at your home or at a point based on an on-call kind of system like they do for, for rides? that could provide some sort of healthcare services at the right moment, at the right time. So they're looking at those kind of things. So it's all this sort of quick access, you know, the, the, the name of the game in healthcare now is convenience access. Quality has to be assumed. So you talk about convenience access and experience. Um, I think our systems are doing that kind of work too. And I think we'll, we'll be in the middle of that. And you'll always have to have the large acute hospitals to take care of the really sick folks. So that's not going to go away. And I'm not sure these new players get as involved in that because there's heavy investments in that. It's hard to be, a major hospital. Oh, just player. the cost of equipment. Yeah, just the cost <laughs> of the building. I mean, you're talking yeah. three, four hundred million dollars. That newest hospital we built was about three hundred twenty-five million dollars. So that's hard to do. But I think in terms of all these other type of services that are being pushed out to easy access, you know, they're now doing hip surgeries that are that are you know day surgery, hip replacement, which is now hip a day replacement surgery. is day surgery. Yeah, right yeah. In some places, California, I know, is doing yeah. some, doing some of that kind of work. So I mean, that healthcare is changing and is going to bring new competitors, which will keep the big guys on their on our toes, but also I think will help the overall healthcare system here significantly. Bill? Yeah, um, um, first of all, I mean, all great points. It's interesting to think about sort of, um, in some ways, the millennial and the gener- generation Xers who 
Um, I'd looked at some data the other day, and, you know, they want to consume health care a little bit differently. Now, there's the convenience side, and there's the healthy living and prevention side, and that's really well fit to a lot of these technologies we're talking about, as well as the others. But certainly the millennials, the data I saw was, was kind of like that they're, you know, more likely to use online ratings, and they're more likely to want to have online appointment making, and they're more likely to have, um, you know, want to have a televisit. You know, Kaiser Permanente, the large, you know, um, Healthcare system that's um, you know historically been in, well in many states, but I think half of their visits now I, they say on their ambulatory side, on their um, you know outpatient side, are via telemedicine now. So you can imagine those kinds of technologies will be coming forth, and mm-hmm. you know those are all interesting, and they're coming quicker than we know. So we'll we'll stipulate that. Um, it's also um, interesting to, to not be, you know, we try not to be too pie in the sky. Where I want to go is, is this the idea that, you know, um, St. David's has a massive effort, I'm sure Seton does as well, that, that um, looks for the ways to use technology to improve and facilitate what we do today. And, and that could be things that relate to inside the hospital and how we communicate and recognize and, and, and whatnot, how people, um, how we measure quality out after they've left the hospital. There's all kinds of federal programs, which we can talk about, which well, give us incentives to do that. And then, and then even um, a signal detection network, which would be sort of more like a population health thing where you can help chronic disease folks, you know, who are going to be the high consumers, um, not need to have so much consumption if there was an easy way to have a signal detection system, quote-unquote signal detection system, so that you'd know today that they're likely to be in the emergency room in four days if I don't do something, you know, and, and, and then use that. Heart failure is a classic example, for instance. Well, you, you know, you bring up something. I, I hear comments all around that uh, I, I, they kick me out of the hospital too quick. Uh, I, I, I was brought in. I, I don't feel real well. But that's not... Uh, a bad thing, and and talk. Tell tell me why that's not um, a bad. Thing. Well, I mean, um, it, I I hope patients. Um, I hope that's somewhat rare. I hope it's not a good thing. That they don't feel they feel like they've been kicked out. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but I think that um, you know, there's um a very focused um and you know I mean um, DRGs came along in 1986. I what believe. Is that? So sorry. So diagnosis related groups. That's a Medicare okay. kind of program. But the idea is that we've had forces and payment systems for 30 years now for whatever that are interested in incentivizing efficiency on the hospital side. Before DRGs came along again in 1986 or so, payments were made based on the volume of services. So that was the initial effort to sort of begin to, to go for sort of quality, not not volume, if you will, which is again sort of part of this conversation as, an, as, an, as, the, as the air we breathe now in healthcare is quality versus um, volume. And um, so... You know, um, there's lots of good work doing, you know, so patients get, you know, are taken care of in the hospital and now it's time to go home. There's something called post-acute care. So acute care, we generally use that term in medicine or in healthcare and in in hospital medicine to to, to denote what happens when a patient's in the hospital. Post-acute would be what happens after they leave the hospital. And obviously some patients go home and we were just mentioning, um, you know, the cutting edge of of hip surgery. This only works in in certain patients, doesn't work in everybody, can be to send people home that same day. But that's, that's, again, I would say that's, you know, a smaller group that's not I'm not just suggesting that's most people at all people that have other comorbidities other illnesses or more complex maybe older wouldn't do that but but um but more and more they might so anyway um some patients can go home and that's good some patients go home and need home health some people patients go home and need what's called skilled nursing some more advanced care that's usually in a um what's called a skilled nursing facility so I guess you know yeah how many different healthcare, and that's in quotes uh, facilities are spread around 
Travis County and Williamson County. Oh, I, I mean, it depends on what you consider. Because, yeah. I mean, now you've got, you know, doctor offices. in the Walgreens and the HEBs, you've got the Ready Clinics and the Minute Clinics. I mean, those are providing services. You've got doctor's offices. You have emergency rooms. You have freestanding emergency rooms. You have urgent care centers. I mean, they're all over the place. It's just breaking out. And I think, you know, to go back to the point we're talking about, I think the healthcare system is about to be or is being disrupted. I mean, it's one of the last major industries that hasn't really gone through this major disruption, like as a result of technology and, and, and technology yeah. and yeah. new cost. economy and new consumers, millennials, cost, all kinds of stuff. You know, we had this old fee for service system, like Bill said, where you got paid to do things to people. The new system, which I think we all think is a much better system, is is pay pay for quality. So, are you getting people the right care at the right time, and do they have the right outcomes? And that requires a major change in the way you think about reimbursement. And you know, frankly, in all systems, you have to follow the dollar. You know, ultimately, probably. And and so, the the government, insurers, healthcare systems are all thinking about how do you incentivize the right kind of care so that somebody doesn't go home too early. You want to send them home at the right time because if you send them home at the wrong time. That, that there's an economic cost to that, whatever that may be, whether it's a fine or whether it's just, you know, you don't get as much reimbursement for it. And so that whole process is, the, the disruption's going on right now. And that's one reason healthcare is going through a lot of change. There's a lot of uncertainty. It's a complicated time, but it's a good thing. Because, I mean, we believe at Seton, the healthcare system needs disrupting. It doesn't work as well as it should for people all the time. We often have two systems of care for the wealthy and the poor, and we've got to get a better system. And I think here in Austin, we have the opportunity, because you've got some good healthcare systems, you've got the medical school, you have Central Health, which is a unique kind of entity that we can work with. We really can be one of the leading communities in the country to rethink the system of care. And that, that's our goal, obviously. And there's a bunch of things that come out of that. The first thing that comes to mind is I think there's a number of touch points that Seton and the medical school and St. David's are, are, need to we'll do more, but are working together and in, in, in accelerating interfaces where we can um, do things that are the good and the right thing for the community. And, and um, so let me come back to that in a second, though. What we, were, what we were sort of talking about was this whole continuum, this post-acute care, and you said how many facilities are. And if I narrow that back down, I guess the point I was trying to make is that part of this disruption in healthcare, and that's, that's meant to be a good thing. Um, there's something called you know, dis- disruptive improvement or disruptive innovation that Clayton Christensen writes about, a, a, um, a professor at the Harvard Business School. And, and that's all about the idea that... Um, that um, I mean, new technologies and new kinds of pressures on a market, on any market, from the steel market to the whatever sector to the healthcare sector, you know, um, um, can be disrupted. And the things that are disrupting uh, the healthcare market, as you say, are those factors. For instance, payment systems and new kinds of patients and and demands, et cetera. But but well, I guess what I was trying to say is that what we're both doing and actively doing. I'll speak for St. David's, but I know this is going at, at, at Seton as well. Is we're actively sort of creating what I call a sort of a virtual care system. We're not trying to own everything, but when a patient leaves the hospital, and they'll, we want to make sure they're going to the very best skilled nursing facility if that's the, the, the service they need after the hospital, or the best home health, et cetera. And, and um, there's how does, a, how does the patient know that, though? Well, I mean, um, how do they know that we're working on that? No, that, that they go, they're going to a good one. Well, that's a fair one. question, that's, and we're working actively to help them know that. And you have to know there's federal rules that, that give people choice so that you have to always tell them about all their options, of course. That's, that's, those are, those are you know, federal regulatory um, constraints. But we also want to be able to tell them what we, what we have studied and engaged and where our, you know, um, our um, post-acute care um, analysis shows the best opportunity for improvement and, and um, whatnot is is, um, is available to them. So we work on that. But well, so in reality, way, in addition to all those things, which are really important to consumers now talk to each other a lot more than they used to. So you've got, got Yelp, the, you've got everything else going on. And Austin's they've got the a internet. Yelp town, and so, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you've got consumers 
you know, communicating with each other through these different ways to say, this was a great experience, this Dr. Stephen Nodi is talking about. So hopefully between the kind of thing Bill's talking about, which is the quantitative kind of, you know, fairly sophisticated metrics that we have to live by, as well as allowing transparency for the consumer to talk to each other and to know what's going on, it's going to be a better consumer environment than it's been in the past, where let's face it, in the past, it was hard to know how good is this hospital? I mean, your insurance company was kind of directing you where to go get care. Um, this more transparent way, more metrics, available information, transparency is a much better way for consumers to know what is the best care for them. And then that drives a better system, which should be all of our goals is to have a better overall system. Speaking of care, nurses, uh, they let's examine how nurses are being trained today and where they're being trained here in the Austin Central Texas area. What do you think, Greg? Uh, well, both both of the big systems participate a lot in that because obviously that's our workforce. So you've got to you've got to invest in that. We've invested heavily with the ACC, Austin Community College, um, in the old Children's Hospital. We turned that into the Clinical Education Center, and that's still in operation. Although the Brackenridge Hospital is going down, the CEC still exists, which is that facility, which has a major simulation center in it and some other things that are some really cutting edge kind of teaching facilities. ACC has a major program there. Concordia University's nursing program works out of there. Texas Tech comes down and brings nurses there. The UT School of Nursing has has training going on over there. So there's a lot of training going on over there um, at that facility and then throughout all of our facilities because not only do the nurses do the the technical or the, the tactical training, then they need to go out and do residencies and and those kind of things in the systems as well too. So they're growing that. And that's, that's Seton's I, I, know, I know Seton's involved obviously with the University of Texas and mm-hmm. the medical school. What about Texas A&M, Williamson County? What are they doing there? Yeah, well, I'll say, because I know you guys, St. David's real involved. We've got A&M students as well. You know, having a big, large freestanding pediatric facility makes us really important for residents because they need to rotate through that. We have a freestanding psych hospital that a lot of folks rotate through. So we have A&M students there, as well as UT Medical Branch out of Galveston, uh, UT Southwestern. All these facilities like to come, a lot of them like to come through Austin and have their residents do rotations, both medical residents, doctors, as well as nurses. And then, Bill, you guys are real involved up in Round Rock. So, so same thing. I mean, you've mentioned a plethora of, of the you know organizations and, and efforts and I think St. David's is involved in, in, in numerous of those also and down in San Marcos at Texas State um, and um, you know you can't say enough about the importance of the of the um, nursing education and the supply of nurses and and quite frankly um, you know I think the two systems and all the systems across in, uh, the, the Central Texas area and quite frankly across the whole ecosystem you know compete for the best nurses and work to get the best nurses and try to um you know um have the best um opportunities for them um the best training the best training po- when they get to the facilities i mean you know that ner- every education physician education nursing education quite frankly all kinds of education you know continues continuously if you will once once you're in a job and and whatnot so so there's kind of the the pre-hire education which would be credentialed education degrees etc and then there's post and so so we both i'm sure and and certainly st david's have has a lot of focus on that whole area do we have a shortage of nurses and a shortage of docs in the area I nurses there's a lot of competition for nurses so yeah there's I think when you look at the supply and demand there's a shortage and it's and it's difficult just because we're growing so fast and there's so much movement going on I think on physicians you have to look at by specialty so I think there's some areas where we have plenty 
there's some specialties, um, and particularly some really significant ones, where we do have some shortages. And so that's one of the things, getting that workforce just right, that pipeline right, is one of the efforts I know both of our systems looks at, and I know um, the medical school is really taking a look at as well, too, trying to figure that out. There's some services here in Austin that you can get in other bigger cities in Texas that we ought to have here, and, and I think we're beginning to get those now, yeah. now that we've got the sophistication coming to town. I think that... Um you know, it's hard not to say there's. It would be hard to say that there's not a shortage of nursing just because um, um, the of, demand, uh, the demand, yeah, and, and yeah. so many um, uh, access points that are important. And um, and you know, increasingly, and we've seen this for the last thirty years, certainly in our professional lifetimes, as it relates to, to medicine and healthcare, so much um, that used to be in the super specialist hands is now in the specialist hands. Quite frankly, is in the primary care physician's hands and or the nurse practitioner's hands. And or the nurse's hands, so that so anyway, so so everything trickles down over time and and training and experience and and you know you can imagine some new technology that was that only a cardiologist did, and I'm not sure I can come up with a good example, but something that would be only a cardiologist would do, you know, in the 1970s, let's say, um, would be much more available to. Um, you know, an internist or a general practitioner in the 80s, and by the time the 90s would come around, people would understand and have deeply, uh, you know, built um, guidelines or whatever. And mm-hmm. so you could imagine that, you know, within this construct and this construct, let's learn the nurse practitioner to take that or or whatever. And, I, and it's um, what I'm saying is actually probably grossly oversimplified. Or in other words, you know, a nurse practitioner can do a phenomenal amount of things now to take care of patients in many different kinds of arenas. So you know, Neil, if I could, so, too, so just, that's part of the, yeah, that's you know, the good evolution. About, uh, One yeah. thing about training, I think, is really interesting. It's just starting to happen here in. Austin too is Austin Independent School District and frankly ACC are both looking at trying to start the training a little bit earlier. So they both uh, we're working real closely with Austin Independent School District to create a health sciences academy here in Austin um, that would actually allow students as early as some in middle school throughout high school then to actually start doing some training. Um, actually begin to you know theoretically get their their associate's degree maybe in the nursing field by the time they're out of high school and then be able to move right in and start to get a bachelor's degree in nursing you know right out right out of high school and, and shorten it down to two years so it shortens that cycle for training and it also allows I think students to begin to see all the different choices in healthcare. You know, I think when we think about healthcare futures and careers, you tend to think of doctors and nurses right away. But the reality is Bill's talked about data and how we analyze data is becoming a huge part of healthcare, more than it ever has before. And so IT professionals are necessary, analytical folks, um, systems engineers, all those kind of people are becoming critical to healthcare. And so I think this Austin Penn School District ACC efforts are really interesting because it's allowing students earlier on to begin to realize, you know, maybe I don't want to be a doctor, maybe that's not my world, but I love computers and I love healthcare and there's a field for there there's a field there for me and so getting those started earlier is really good and it's one of the promises when we had the election about the medical school that it's not just doctors and nurses this was about it was about all kinds of jobs that we could create in the community yeah let me just jump in on that if I could Um, you know you you reminded me um, I have a number of students that I mentor that um, you know they um, one example is a student who's um, interested in going to medical school in the future and and I say to him I don't care what you're interested in nursing or or, or um, medical school or whatever while you're an undergrad or in preparation take some computer classes because the future of healthcare, care the certainly the future of the practice of medicine is going to be deeply ensconced in informatics and you need to be a discerning customer as opposed to someone who's baffled by it all that's one thing the other thing is let me I was just going to jump in I mean you can't say enough about that, and we could go on to the the, the, the importance of informatics to um, improving every aspect of care. Now, I also want to say that you know it's easy for people who 
who haven't been maybe um, at least my view living and breathing this um, to um, to sort of think Watson's just going to solve everything and we'll have diagnosis and everything will be perfect. And what I can tell you, I saw a great article by um, Atul Gawande, who's a very thoughtful um, um, surgeon at the Harvard Business, or at the um, Harvard Medical School, and um, was uh, deeply involved in the Clinton White House uh, actually in health policy before he finished medical school even. And um, his assessment is that. Um, you know, very a lot of that stuff is very, very, very far away from prime time. So, so um, it, you know, it's kind of like not quite there yet. But that's not to say that there's a whole bunch of the uh, of informatics that are important. Just don't don't um, don't dream that it's going to replace all the oncologists in the world or something like that. Second thing I wanted to say is that um, you know, as you talk about informatics and and healthcare. I was going to touch on entrepreneurialism in Austin. One of those things that makes Austin unique, and one of those things that um, you know makes um, companies want to come to Austin, including other healthcare companies. And and what I was going to say is that um, one of the things that you know we're trying to do um, in the context of of entrepreneurialism is to think in terms of inviting entrepreneurs to focus on the health problems that we have in our community. So, so um, you know, there's a lots of talk about wanting to, you know, have um, successful startups and in, in a, in a, in a, in a, in an ecosystem of successful technology startups in Austin and all these different things, and, and that's all good and fine. Um, and obviously in healthcare, there's there's kind of biomolecules, things that might come out of a university or, or medical school research, or there could be, you know, um, technology and material science that comes out that could be coming from the university, or there could be, um, you know, any everything, tech, uh, apps that come out or other kinds of advanced analytics. So there's a whole plethora of stuff that's out there that could be part of what you would call a healthcare entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um, we're interested, and I, I talk, this is something that we're <clears throat> actually working to collaborate on with other, with the medical school and with, with Seton, um, is to wonder, can we energize the entrepreneurial community to also focus very specifically on the health needs of our community and work in that space? And that's not necessarily a new biomolecule, but the question might be, what can an entrepreneur build that would help us take care of heart failure patients in a disruptively better way, or patients at risk for kidney transplants so that we can take kidney transplants down from whatever the number is now to zero in Travis and Williamson County, that kind of stuff. Disruptive improvements. And so so um, I guess I just mentioned that because I, I think that's part of what's what's the future here that we're trying to get to. So that's a, a good analysis and a good look at the future as we run out of time. And uh, let me make one final point uh, as we wrap up here. And that is, uh, as healthcare has grown and expanded tremendously, and gotten uh, good, uh, good, uh, 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 I guess, better quality all the way around, and better service to the community, we're also looking at businesses who are coming into this community, who are going to be locating nearby or around the area. That, as you said, the entrepreneurial aspect of Austin, and so healthcare is taking advantage of, or should be taking advantage of, the entrepreneurial spirit that has made Austin grow to this extent mm-hmm. that it mm-hmm. has today. So I tell you what, if if we look ahead, and we could spend another hour or so talking about it, but if we look ahead, can I summarize for the two of you that the healthcare services quality uh, and uh, of facilities are going to continue to expand in this area, in Travis and Williamson County, and that secondly, the ripple effect uh, is going to be tremendous because of companies and and startups and individuals who sit there and say, hey, we need to help 
people here in Travis and Williamson counties, why don't we do this and try to get started? And so it looks to me like that that collaborative spirit that has been true here in Austin for so long, dating back to working together and making things happen for the area, is really holding true here in the healthcare field. Uh, and I think if if that summary agrees with your thoughts, and I see heads nodding. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, our future's bright. Well, thanks to each of you, Greg Hartman and Bill Rice, for joining us for this episode of Time Well Spent. That's brought to you by the Central Texas Regional Mobility Authority. Thank you, Neil. And thank you for tuning in. For more about quality of life in Central Texas and to catch our next podcast episode, visit mobilityauthority.com. And until next time, I'm Neil Spells.